Amen. I want to invite you, if it's your testimony that you've seen God move a mountain, I want you to let us know. I want you to send us a thumbs up, a heart, something. Let us know. Message. Uh, we've got Dr. House uh, on Facebook Live. I think we have Pastor West Ford on our live stream. Let us know, man. Send, say, yes, I've seen God move a mountain. Let us know. It's time. It's that time. It's time to get the word out that we're about to get into the word. So I want to encourage you to find uh, the book of 2 Timothy and go to chapter 1 in the book of 2 Timothy as we're currently in our series, Our New Normal, The Normal We Already Knew. So today we're going to be in the last verses of chapter 1 in 2 Timothy in a messaging called Be Not Ashamed. Be Not ashamed. So if you would message somebody, invite somebody to jump on our live stream or join your Facebook live watch party. It's time for you to do your part. Get the word out. We're about to get into the word. Second Timothy chapter one in a message entitled, Be Not Ashamed. The day was Wednesday, this past Wednesday, April the 29th. The time was 7, 12 p.m. I just finished leading our online midweek worship gathering. We start at 6 p.m. on Wednesday nights. If you've not joined us for that, it is a great time of worship, middle of the week. We'd encourage you to jump on at 6 p.m. Uh, right here at redbankbaptist.org and worship with us then. So this last Wednesday night, we started at 6. We wrapped it up at 7.04 p.m. And at 7.12 p.m., I get this text message from Tanya. It reads this way, in all caps, I am silver, three exclamation points, bless God, three exclamation points. Now, I knew what that meant. This is good news. This is news to be excited about. This is news to celebrate. So I knew what I needed to do before I got home was get some balloons, get a cake, get a cake with some celebratory message on top of it. The only problem, it's 7, 12 p.m. and Publix closes at 8 p.m. I didn't know if the bakery closed earlier than the actual store. I didn't know if they had any cakes available to write anything on it. I didn't know if anybody would be available to write anything on it. So before I left the church, I called Publix to see if they could help me. So it's 7.24 p.m. when I get in my car, and before I drive off, I call Publix. But before I call Publix, I call on the Lord, and I say, Lord, I need a miracle. That's what I need, Lord. I need a miracle. So then I call Publix, and I get uh, an automated options, and I push one for the bakery, and I get connected to the bakery. And uh, as they connect you to the bakery, it rings a couple of times, and then music starts playing while you hold for somebody in bakery to pick up. Now, let me remind you what I prayed out loud verbally, Lord, I need a miracle. And the song that just so happened to be playing while I was holding for my miracle from the bakery was this song. All I need is a miracle. All I need is you. All I need is a miracle. I threw a fit in the car. I had a Holy Spirit fit in the car. I thought I was going to get pulled over for being driving under the influence of the Spirit. I, mean, I was throwing a fit. I couldn't believe it. The, the lady in the bakery picked up and said, can I help you? I said, ma'am, look, I don't, the, the song that was playing when I was holding for you to answer was all I need is a miracle, and that's all I, I need, a miracle. And she said, well, I don't know about that. I said, well, this is what I need. I explained it to her. She said, sure, come on by. We got plenty of time to get that done. When I got home, I've just played it off and acted like I've been planning this for months. Tanya didn't buy that, but here's what I want you to hear. I was unashamed. I am still 
unashamed to celebrate this good news. See, Tanya hitting silver meant she set a goal for herself uh, over a year ago, a business goal. She hit that goal. She achieved that goal, and it was a time to celebrate. And I am not ashamed of that. In fact, I'm so unashamed of that that I just sang in front of you, which I should be shameful about, right? I was so unashamed I told the lady in the bakery about it. I was so unashamed I put it all over social media. I was unashamed to celebrate this good news. Church, we have better news than some good news of this goal or that goal being achieved. We have the good news. The good news that God in all of His grace and mercy has rescued us from our wicked, wretched, sinful state. Like He's rescued us from sin, death, and the grave. If we are unashamed about this good news and that good news, how much more unashamed should we be about the good news. Well, what Paul does in first or second Timothy chapter one, he is charging Timothy to be not ashamed. So look at it with me. Second Timothy chapter one, verse number eight. I'm going to read eight through verse 18. You follow along as I read. Therefore, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Father God, We have come to the time in our worship together where we're going to unpack 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 through 18. And uh, Father, we need your help. Uh, We need direction and anointing, a refreshing. We need uh, application, uh, Lord, and, and we need your help. So God, help us hear what you have to say to the church today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said... 
Amen and amen. If, if we were going to sum up this message in a sentence, just give the, the, the main idea, the, the big idea, the, 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 the takeaway is what we call it here. I, I, would, I would phrase it this way. Here it is, as simple as I can say it. Be not ashamed, for the gospel is not a sham. Be not ashamed, for the gospel is not a sham. It's not a hoax. The gospel is not hollow. The gospel is not just hype. Be not ashamed, for this gospel is not a sham. So what I want to do in these verses that close out chapter 1 is give you six proofs that prove that the gospel is not a sham. It's not a hoax. So how can we know this? We're going to walk through six proofs that give evidence to the fact that the gospel is not a sham. Number one, we are not unscathed. We are not unscathed. As followers of Christ, as believers in the gospel, we are not unscathed. The fact that Paul invites Timothy in chapter 8 to share in suffering is proof that we remain scathed as followers of Christ. We are not unscathed. Let me show you how Paul presents this to Timothy. Notice the word therefore in verse 8. Now, a responsible Bible student will always look to see what the therefore is there for. And the way you figure out what the therefore is there for is you always look what lies before the therefore. So what comes before it? We'll look at verse number 7. It's pretty clear. This is simple. Look at it. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. So because of this, because you as a follower of Christ have the Holy Spirit indwelt in you, you now have the power to be not ashamed. In our flesh and on our own, we drift into being ashamed, not unashamed. But through the power of the Spirit, we can be unashamed. And Paul says, therefore, be not ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Now, what is the testimony about Jesus? What is this gospel that we are testifying to? It's very simple. Jesus has paid our sin debt in full. That is something to celebrate. You know, I was reading the other day uh, some statistics about credit card debt. And I was reading the other day that according to 2019 data, 55% of Americans with credit cards carry debt on their cards. The average credit card debt in a household in America is anywhere from $9,000 to $15,000, depending on which report uh, you read. Over half of Americans are ashamed. They are embarrassed to let others know that they do not pay off their credit card debt in full every month. They're embarrassed by that. They're ashamed by that. People are ashamed of credit card debt. I don't know of any person who celebrates the fact that they have credit card debt. I know of plenty of people who celebrate, boast about, brag about, tell everybody they've paid off their debt. In fact, Dave Ramsey has on his website, you can go and register, schedule your debt-free scream, where you can go in the studio and scream, I am debt-free. I don't know of anybody who is ashamed of being financially debt-free. Why then, church? Why are we ashamed to tell people 
that in Christ we are sin debt free. Why are we ashamed of that? Why are we embarrassed by that? Be not ashamed. Paul continues. Paul says, not only are you not to be ashamed of the testimony, why would you want to be ashamed to tell somebody, hey man, I'm I'm 100% sin debt free. Paul says, but also don't be ashamed of me, the prisoner of Christ. Now Paul is in a Roman prison, but please understand, he is not a prisoner of Rome. He is captive to Christ. He is a prisoner of our Lord. And he makes that pretty clear here in verse number 8. Nor of me, his prisoner, Christ's prisoner. Don't be ashamed of me. Now to associate yourself with Paul during this day of persecution was suicide. Your name would be put at the top of Nero's most wanted list. That's why Paul's alone. You go to chapter 4 in 2 Timothy, you'll read that Paul says, Luke alone is with me. In great depression almost, Paul says, Luke alone is with me. Boy, Luke must have been a joy to be around. He's the only one Paul had. Why? Because everybody else is scared. They've abandoned. They're ashamed. And Paul says, Timothy, do not be ashamed of me as prisoner. Do not be ashamed of my change. Yes, we're physically distant, but we, ne- we better not be practicing spiritual distancing. Do not be ashamed of me as prisoner. And he goes on to say this, but share in suffering. He invites him to suffer. I was reading the other day about Garth Brooks. He did a concert in Detroit, and he wore on on the stage, he wore a Detroit Lions jersey, a Barry Sanders jersey, the retired Hall of Fame running back, Barry Sanders, whose number when he played was 20. So Garth Brooks is wearing a Detroit Lions number 20 jersey with Sanders on the back. And he gets hammered on social media because people think he is supporting Bernie Sanders for the presidential election in 2020. And that's not what he was doing. He was wearing a running back football player's jersey. And he got hammered on social media for that. I'm grateful. As followers of Christ, there's no confusion. We're not supporting a football player or a politician. We are supporting. We are ambassadors. We are proclaiming and announcing that Jesus saves. That we are 100% sin debt free in Christ. And so Paul says, Timothy, I invite you to share in this suffering. Timothy, I invite you to share with me the five times I received the 40 lashes from the Jews, less one. I invite you to be three times with me shipwrecked or spend one night and one day adrift at sea or be stoned one time or to be in danger at sea, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger by people, in danger by the Gentiles, in danger by false prophets. I invite you to suffer with me in toil and hardship and be without food and be hungry and be thirsty and be exposed and be cold. Timothy, I invite you to suffer with me for the gospel. Church, we are not unscathed. Now, many of us have never suffered like that for the gospel, but we have plenty of brothers and sisters in Christ who are right now suffering in that very way, if not worse. And when they suffer, we suffer. We are not unscathed. The White House, President Trump said this week in a statement, as one American family We grieve with those who've suffered the loss of loved ones from COVID-19. And as the body of Christ, when part of our body suffers, we suffer. So it is proof. Be encouraged to know that the God, we know the gospel's not a sham because persecution is increasing. You need to understand something. 
Persecution for the church, for followers of Christ, doesn't decrease. It hasn't decreased since the first century. It's increasing, not decreasing. So that is evidence that this gospel is truth, and it's not a sham. Number two, here's the second reason we can know the gospel is not a sham. We are not unsaved. Can I get a shout? We're not unsaved. Oh, my heaven. Now, listen, Paul the apostle was quite an intellect. I'm talking about a, he was so gifted intellectually. Just read the book of Romans, and your head will spin. I find myself in Romans just roaming around trying to figure out where I am. He is so gifted intellectually, and that's proof in his writings. But Paul's message, this is what Paul said, I count all of that intellect. I count all of it as rubbish. I count it as nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And here's what Paul says in verse number 9. Look at it with me. Who saved us. This God who saved us. So here's Paul's message. Here's Paul's message. Simple as it can be. Christ and Him crucified. Here's, here's Paul's message. God saves. You say, Pastor, what's the gospel? Here's the gospel. God saves. That's the gospel. That's it. God does what you and I could never do. Save us. God saves. He saves us from something. He saves us from sin, death, and the grave. The penalty, the power, and the presence of sin, God saves us from in His Son Christ. He saves us from something. But He also saves us for something, and to something, and through something. And here He saves us. Not only does He save us in verse 9, but He has called us to a holy calling. He has called us to something. He has given us a purpose and a future and a calling. Paul David Tripp said it like this. Be holy means holiness is to be the core characteristic of all your characteristics as a believer. And that is only possible by means of the powerful divine grace of God. As long as be holy as I am holy as God's calling, you and I will never be graduates of grace. You don't ever graduate grace. You know how much you need God's grace when you realize that be holy means that God himself is the standard, the measure by which we evaluate ourselves. I'm so grateful that Paul points out that he is, God has saved us and called us by a holy calling, not because of our works, verse number 9, but because of his own purpose and grace. So how do we get this grace? Keep reading verse number 9 which he gave us in Christ Jesus. So, grace was given. He gave it. We don't earn grace. It's not a wage that we earn. It's a gift that is given by God himself. He gave us this grace in his son Christ. For God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave who? His only begotten son. That's grace. It's given your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Grace, grace, God's grace abounds. He gives it. 
And notice the plan to give it. I love this in verse number 10. He gave it in Christ Jesus, the end of verse 9, before the ages began, and then look at verse 10, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior. So this grace, uh, this gospel, uh, this plan of redeeming you and me, that God's plan of redemption was not an accident. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't, okay, this is God's plan B. It wasn't an emergency go-to plan. It wasn't a last-ditch effort to save you and me. This was God's plan from the beginning. Like before the beginning began, like before any sin was ever committed, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son got together and planned out the redemptive plan. And we know this because the Bible says Jesus appeared. I love that word, his appearing. Jesus wasn't created. He's always existed. He appeared. That means that he already existed. He just revealed himself. To, I love that word, appear. His appearing. And I love how Paul refers to Jesus here. He appeared, the appearing of our Savior. Man, God saves. Well, how does God save? Well, if God saves, you've got to have a Savior. Who's the Savior? Christ Jesus is the Savior. Jesus, the name given the one who came to save his people from their sins. Well, Pastor, why was this necessary? Why was it necessary for me to be saved? This appearing is proof that the plan was already planned. Well, why was the plan already planned? Why was it necessary? Keep reading. Look at verse number 10. Keep going here. Jesus, who abolished death. Do you know that Jesus' death put death on death row and she is out of appeals? Like death is done. Death is destroyed. Death is dead. Death stinger has no sting. Death is dead. Jesus put it to death. But not only that, we see the resurrection in the very next words here. He abolished death and brought life and immortality. You know, Zig Ziglar says, it is dangerous to be alive. One very often dies of it. Yeah, death is a reality. It's a reality for all of us. But just think about it. The moment you close your eyes in death, as soon as you open them, if you're in Christ... You're with the Lord immediately. So that's why one said this, research suggests that most of us will be dead longer than we're alive, right? But here's the good news. Death is dead. And Jesus didn't only abolish death. He brought life and immortality. That's the resurrection. You need to know that your immortality is not based on whether or not you test positive for coronavirus. You need to know your immortality is not based on whether or not you get sick or you're healthy or whether or not the COVID cases increase or decrease or whether or not you practice social distancing or whether or not you use hand sanitizer. Your immortality is based upon the fact that God is not done with you until he's done with you. And you will be here and you will be immortal until you finish the race he has set before you. Take, be encouraged by that. He has brought life and immortality. And until he's ready, you're going to be here taking the gospel, making much of him in every tribe, nation, tongue, language, and people. So be encouraged. We know that the gospel is not a sham because we are not unsaved. We know that today. Take great courage in verse 9 and 10 that he has brought, abolished death and brought life and immortality. 
once said this, you're not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. In fact, if Jesus was not resurrected, you would have never heard of him. We know for sure that the gospel's not a sham because we are not unsaved. One said this, our puny minds can't comprehend a God who was so holy that he had to create hell, so loving that he chose to sacrifice his own son to save us from it, so powerful that he raised him from the dead, so gracious that whoever simply trusts in Jesus alone will dwell with him forever. Mark Twain said, man is the only animal that blushes, the only animal that's ashamed of its past. He says, there is nobody who is freed unless they are forgiven. Well, guess what? We're forgiven. We're not unsaved. So we can know this gospel is not a sham. Number three, we are not unsent. Look at verse 11 and verse number 12. We know that the gospel's not a sham because not only are we saved, we are sent. So we know we're not unsent. Look at verse 11. Here's how Paul said it. For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. Verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. Now when we think of these titles like apostle or preacher or teacher, we think of titles, we think of benefits, we think of honor. We think of, of that which to strive for, or that which to covet, or that which to chase after, or that which aspire to be, to have a title. But Paul, look what he says about these titles. Look what Paul says about these titles. Preacher, apostle, teacher. Here's the benefit of these titles. For this is why I suffer as I do. Suffering. Paul knew as a follower of Christ, God had called him and set him apart to be an apostle, to be a preacher, and to be a teacher. And the benefit of that was Paul would suffer. That's why Paul says, I suffer as I do. Listen, God has sent all of us. Maybe he's not sent all of us to be a vocational preacher, but he sent all of us to proclaim the message of the gospel. All of us to teach the gospel. All of us to make much of Jesus. Steve Gaines said it like this. God is interested in people being saved. He said, if we're not fishing for men, we are not following God. End quote. The gospel will not be heard unless gospel conversations are being had. It's not going to happen. If you're not having gospel conversations, the gospel's not going to be heard. And Paul makes it clear in Romans. In chapter 10, how will they call on the one in whom they have not Believe, and how will they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear of the one unless someone preaches them? And how are they going to preach unless they are sent? You are sent. I am sent. We are sent. If you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then you are sent by Christ alone, in Christ alone, for Christ alone, through Christ alone. If you're saved, you're sent. It's that simple. I, I was reading a story about a flight attendant named Jenny, and she had encountered this, this couple on, on the plane at 30,000 feet in the clouds, and they had an eight-day-old baby with them. And the stewardess helped them get seated, and she asked them, why are y'all traveling with such a young baby, eight days old? And they told her, they said, well, we've just adopted uh, this baby, and we had to come get her. 
Um, and so we're flying back home. And so Jenny flew into, this flight attendant flew into action and had, a, uh, had an impromptu baby shower right there on the plane at 30,000 feet in the clouds. And she got on the intercom and told people about the adoption. And she passed out pieces of paper, napkins, and pens and got them to write encouraging notes to the parents. And right there, I mean, get the picture of that. Right there among the clouds, there was this great cloud of witnesses on this plane encouraging this family who had adopted this new born baby. It reminded me of Hebrews, that we, as we run our race and we tell people how they can be adopted in the family of God, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. Church, we can know that the gospel's not a sham because we are sent. We are sent. You say, well, pastor, isn't it the pastor's job to share the gospel? Yes, it is. But it's also the staff's job, and it's also the deacon's job. And it's also the life group leader's job, and the musician's job, and the vocalist's job, and the volunteer's job, and the adult's job, and the teenager's job, and the child's job. In fact, it's your job. Do your job and make Jesus known. Why? Because you are sent. And this gives us great confidence that this gospel is not a sham. Number four. We can know the gospel is not a hoax, it's not hollow, it's not just hype, because we are not unsure. I want you to listen, and you answer the question in your own mind and heart, what do you think Paul sounds like here? Listen to this, verse number 12, the end of it. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day. What has been entrusted to me? Let me ask you, does that sound like a person who is doubting his calling? Does that sound like a person who is living with doubts? Does that sound like a person who is unsure if this gospel's really true? You know who that sounds like? That sounds like a person I want to charge the gates of hell with, with a leaking water pistol. That's who that sounds like. He's fired up and ready. Remember, he's in a dark, cold, wet Roman prison alone. And he says, I'm convinced. I know. And I'm convinced. Man, what confidence. He was not unsure. And as followers of Christ, we too can be unsure. Think about it like this. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, there is this this attempt from the Pharisees and the Roman soldiers to brew up this lie that Jesus wasn't resurrected, that the disciples came and just stole the body away, right? And so at the end of the Matthew, we read this command, tell people his disciples stole him away while we were asleep. And this is spread among the Jews until this day. So let's understand what that means if indeed that was true. If the disciples stole the body and Jesus was not resurrected, if that was the case, then we could all agree that the disciples would have understood, they would have known that Jesus was not resurrected and this gospel was a hoax. They would have known that because they stole the body. If indeed that's the case, they would have known that then you can explain the fact that all 11 of them suffered and were martyred for the faith, died because they were faithful to this gospel. They would not have died for something they knew to be a sham. 
Maybe one of them, maybe two of them, but not all, 11 of them. No way. So we, can, we, we don't have to be unsure about this. Also, we need to understand that there's testimonies like this all over the world. Like recently, because of the fear of COVID-19, I read recently that four Muslim men in Southeast Asia came to a pastor undercover, a church pastor, a church planner there, and they surrendered their lives to Christ, although their family would kill them for this. They came undercover, they knew the gospel was true, and they decided to follow Christ. You hear about stories like that all over the world. Why? Because the gospel's not a sham. I heard a, a pastor's kid getting ready to eat dinner, and his mom said, okay, you need to pray, and you need to wash your hands before you eat. And so the little boy said, germs and Jesus, germs and Jesus. It's all over here, and I've never seen either one of them, right? Well, listen, John tells us that at the end of his book, that, even, that those who have yet to see, they are blessed because they've yet to see. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet believe. Hey, we are not unsure that's how we know this gospel is not a sham. Number five, verse 13 and 14. We are not unassisted. We are not unassisted. Paul is writing to his Timothy, his son in the faith, the one he discipled, the one he poured into. And here's what Paul says to him in verse 13. Follow the pattern. Uh, listen, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. I discipled you, Timothy. Now you take that and run with it. And you go disciple others. Paul is saying, Timothy, I want you to fill your mind with the word of God, not the words of man. Hey, come in here real close. It's time for us to fill our minds with the word of God and stop filling it with CNN and Fox News. Fill your mind with the word of the living God that is active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. Fill your mind with the Word. That's what, Tim, that's what Paul's telling Timothy. Fill your mind with the Word, faith and love in Christ Jesus. And he goes on and says this, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You know, The Last Dance is a documentary surrounding the Chicago Bulls dynasty in the 1990s. Well, Tanya and I, I started dating in 1998, and one of the first things we did when we were dating, we watched Chicago Bulls games. She told me how much of a fan of basketball she was and the Chicago Bulls, and so we watched the Bulls win the championship that year. And you, do you know she's never watched another sporting event with me since? She got me hook, line, and sinker, and then the truth came out. She doesn't like sports. She pulled one over on me. But in that documentary, one thing I've noticed is the GOAT, Michael Jordan, uh, although he greatest player ever to play the game, he didn't play it by himself, right? He had a team. He wasn't unassisted. Like, he had help. And so, Paul, the apostle, I mean, when we think of, of guys who, uh, this guy who wrote a third of the, of the New Testament, we think, wow, he's, a, he's some superhero. But Paul wasn't unassisted. Paul had the Holy Spirit. Paul had guys like Timothy and others that he poured into. Paul was not unassisted. And you and I, we're not meant to be unassisted. This is how we know this gospel is not a sham. There are brothers and sisters in Christ of every color, of every tribe, of every nation, of every language, and every people who are worshiping the same Jesus you and I are worshiping. Christ and Him crucified. We are not unassisted. And if you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit resides in you, so you are not unassisted. 
in this work that we've been given to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I was reading about a basketball team in Malawi. A team from the States went to see this practice with this basketball team in Malawi. And when they got there, they noticed that a couple of the players on the Malawi team were playing with one shoe. Like two players had one shoe on one foot and the other foot was bare, barefooted. And shoes are a luxury, apparently, in Malawi. Not a lot of people have shoes. And so the team from the States were kind of laughing at these two guys. They were playing with one shoe on and one shoe off. Couldn't figure out why. And so they asked their coach, why was this happening? He said, well, one guy showed up today with no shoes. Another guy showed up with two shoes. But he didn't want him to be embarrassed, so he lent him one of his shoes. He let him borrow one of his shoes. He assisted him in that. We need to be, listen, we're not in competition We need to assist one another as we share the gospel. And the one that helps us do that is the helper, the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, Timothy, I'm not suggesting you do this in your own strength or you do this in the flesh. Be not ashamed because by the Holy Spirit you can do this. Guard that good deposit entrusted to you. Number six, we are not unseen. Boy, this should encourage you. We can know the gospel is not a sham because we are not unseen. Paul mentions three guys in verse 15 through 18. And all I want to say about these last verses here is simply this. Two of these guys were ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of Paul. Vigilus and Hermogenes were ashamed. They abandoned Paul, as did many others in Asia. But there was one who refreshed Paul. There was one who was not ashamed of his chains. There was one who had a great reputation at the church in Ephesus. Onesiphorus, he he pressed in to the gospel. He leaned into the gospel. He lived out his faith, unashamed of Christ and him crucified and Paul and the church. Unashamed. So the question for me to you is, what say you? What about you? Are you living unashamed of the gospel? Or are you living ashamed of the gospel? You know, I read this week something interesting about cats. I didn't know. I didn't know that cats cannot taste anything that is sweet. Their tongue is like colorblind to sugar. They can only taste bitterness and sourness and saltiness. They can't taste sweetness. Maybe that's why they're so grumpy all the time. Maybe that's why dogs bark at them, try to cheer them up. I don't know. But they cannot taste sweetness at all. They just can't taste it. And I wonder how many of you would say, you know what, I'm just too shy. I'm just, I just can't share my faith. I'm just, I, I'm just ashamed. Maybe it's because you've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Maybe that's why. Aren't you tired of tasting just bitterness and sourness and saltiness? Aren't you ready to taste and see that the Lord is good? Hey, he he wants you. In fact, he proved he wants you so much that he demonstrated it by sending his son Jesus that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He was buried. He was raised to life. And he has brought life and immortality to any who shall believe. Whosoever will believe can be saved. So what say you? Have you not yet tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Let me encourage you to do that and also give you this warning. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus makes this statement, and it's very clear. 
For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So please know, you're not unseen. Jesus knows exactly who you are, where you are. He knows if you're ashamed or unashamed. So if you've not tasted and seen that the Lord is good, it's time to do that. We want to invite you to text 423-440-8555, the name Jesus. If you'd like to say, yes, Sam, I am ready to taste and see the Lord is good. I'm tired of this bitterness and unforgiveness and sourness. I'm tired of being grumpy. I'm tired of being miserable. I'm tired of this. I need some peace and joy. Jesus is the answer. He is the answer. He is enough. He is near. And He is enough for you right now. So open your heart. That's what the Bible says. All you have to do to trust in Christ is believe in your heart this gospel that we've just walked through, and then confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Let me encourage you to do that now. If you want to talk to somebody about that, text us the name Jesus to that number. Maybe you have a question. Text question. Maybe you have a prayer request. Please text it to us. Maybe you have uh, information you want to know about baptism. Feel free to do that as well. What say you? Are you ashamed or unashamed? Paul says for believers, we're to be not ashamed. Why? Because the gospel is not a sham. How do we know that? Well, we know that because we are not unscathed. We are not unsaved. We are not unsent. We're not unsure. We're not unassisted. And we are not unseen. Be not ashamed, for the gospel is not a sham. Let me remind you, it is the gospel that says death is is nothing but a shadow. It is the gospel that caused King Nebuchadnezzar to say, blessed be the God of Shadrach. It is the gospel that says Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, and this hope will never put us to shame. Why? Because the gospel is not a sham. Remember, it is the gospel that says in Jesus' sufferings and in his resurrection, we who believe will share. And the gospel says uh, that God did not spare his son so that all of us who believe get to share. And the Bible, the gospel says that all who know this good news must share. Why? Because this gospel is not a sham. For it's the gospel that says at any time, springtime, valentines, any time, any place, not just your home or your home away from home, the Home Depot, but at any time and any place that Jesus is the lily of the valley. He is the rose of Sharon. It is the gospel that says the Bible is sharper than any two-edged sword is sharp. And speaking of sharper, it's the gospel that says Solomon outshine Queen Sheba. Why? Because the gospel is not a sham. For it is the gospel that says we, like sheep, have gone astray. But we have a great shepherd, Jesus, who died for us, who shed his blood for us. So all who believe will be with him forever. For it's the gospel that says God, our most high, is our shelter and shield. For it's the gospel that says people will be delivered from Sheol in Christ. Why? Because the gospel is not a sham. For it's the gospel that says when the disciples were in the boat in the 
storm, Jesus did not stay on the shore. It's the gospel that says although we're in a lockdown, God's church is never shut down. It's the gospel that says we're to cast our cares on Jesus' shoulders. Why? Because the gospel is not a sham. For it's the gospel that says some will shiver when they hear it, and some will shake, and some will shout, and some will shush, and some will shatter, and some will take shelter. The gospel says that some will shirk their responsibility, but none will shun its reality. Why? Because the gospel is not a sham. So church, don't be ashamed. For this gospel is not a hoax. It's not hollow. It's not just hype. It's not a sham. Be not ashamed, church. Be not ashamed.